1: Welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jamduduchu, and this time round we're doing The Dark Knight, which means I get to talk more Nolan, I get to talk a little bit about the history, and revised history of Batman, which is never a bad thing, and if you want a bit of actual non-Batman type history on this one, I'm going to be talking about the War on Terror, the first 20 years of the 21st century and the relationship between the largely secular if not christian west and islamic fundamentalism and yeah it's very much there in this batman movie so let's get into it as i said on previous episodes when i've talked about christopher nolan sort of said he's wonderful etc and I did two episodes on Oppenheimer, for heaven's sakes. Look, the guy's really good. If you said, Jem, you have to pick the greatest living director, or let's just be blunt about it, the greatest director ever, I'm going to say Steven Spielberg. Jaws, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, E.T., Jurassic Park. These are a bunch of films that he did over decades, and yet... Other people would be happy to just make one of those in their entire filmic career. Even his lesser films are still exceptional pieces of art. So, it's Spielberg. But it has been a while since Spielberg's knocked it out of the park. Where in the meantime, Nolan is... He's not the new Spielberg in the sense that he's he's never going to make something as fun as Jurassic Park, let's say. And as personal and as small science fiction as E.T. But when it comes to the bigger things, something like Saving Private Ryan or some of his more intellectual stuff, Nolan's absolutely up there. Nolan is the only person at the moment who can make an intelligent big blockbuster, who can get people to go to the movies to see three hours of people talking about nuclear physics. For further reference, Oppenheimer... Didn't quite get to a billion dollars, but that movie was never meant to get to break 900 million, and it did. It outgrossed Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which was the Surefire superhero movie of the summer of 2023. Talked loads about that in other episodes. Nolan is great, and he'd been talked about being great since his first studio movie. Yes, I am aware that technically his debut was the following, which he made largely as a student it was done while he had other jobs and he filmed it on weekends and it took ages it's not what we would call in a traditional sense a directorial debut it was his calling card which got him to make his proper directorial debut memento and at that point he was an indie darling because it cost 4 pounds 50 and a packet of biscuits and it was just an amazing movie it was a relatively standard thriller but We already saw what Nolan wanted to do with that first studio script where it's about a man who has short-term memory problems and so he can't remember what he's just done. And Nolan puts you into that world in the sense that the very first scene you see is the very end of the story. So, somebody is shot. So we know what happens to a person in that movie But then we start rolling backwards, and as we go along, the question is, why was that person shot? And eventually, was that the right person to be shot? It's a really ingenious film. Didn't cost a lot of money, but it was all the ideas up there on screen, and nobody had really done a movie like that before. And How often do you get fresh originality in the time of Star Wars and stuff like that? Star Wars I love, but it's very much riffing off things like, Flash Gordon, and the hero's journey. These are ancient sort of concepts. With Nolan's memento, that was his calling card, and then he ended up doing Insomnia, which is so far the only one which is based on somebody else's screenplay. It was a remake of a Norwegian movie, and it was a brilliant movie with Robin Williams being a very hissable villain, one of the two great villain roles he's played, that and also One Hour Photo, and it's got Al Pacino in one of his last genuinely great movies so you've got great actors great story and it was another hit again just like memento we're not talking about mega bucks being spent on these movies here it was a police procedural with a serial killer kind of side angle to it it didn't break the bank in terms of making it but it's next to film and now we've got the whole of victorian london having to be recreated in the prestige with special effects now going on And it was a definite step from everything else. We've talked about the prestige in the magic episode, which I did with Greg. But what I wanted to say this time round is this is a setup for his first Batman movie, Batman Begins. So now we're sort of jumping into Batman. And with Batman Begins, everybody was sick of Batman. Now, it's worth remembering, 1989, Tim Burton's Batman movie, Michael Keaton.
0: I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman
1: rewrote what a superhero movie could be it was a little over 10 years since the first superman movie and indeed there've been multiple superman movies since then there've been some very embarrassing sort of attempts at low budget stuff look i love the incredible hulk the tv show the music in particular sad as sad as anything you'll ever hear on tv and it was aimed at kids but it wasn't that great in terms of the actual special effects and the style of it. Same thing with something like the Spider-Man TV show. When I was five, I thought it was amazing. It is unwatchable by modern standards. So there had been attempts, but Batman 1989, everybody was super impressed. Then with Batman Returns, we get the definitive version of Catwoman and Penguin, both of them amazing in those films. But it was all deemed a bit too dark, so then... We get a much lighter Batman Forever. Who the
0: hell are you? Just a friend. But you can call me... The Riddler. <laughs> oh, you did. It's more like it. How did you find us here? But
1: then if I talked, what would keep you from slaying me,
0: old segregated one? By the way, that's never gonna heal if you don't stop picking.
1: And... That was... That, I liked that one. I, it was more cartoonish. It was aimed at a, perhaps a younger audience. Val Kilmer, as my wife said later, why would you pick him as Batman? Because he has the most recognisable lips in the world. You wouldn't recognise a mile that that's Bruce Wayne. But I digress. And Nicole Kidman, incredibly smouldering and seductive in that one. It had a great U2 song in it as well. And Seal Thong, Kiss from a Rose. So all this worked really well. However, unfortunately, they went too far with that sequel which now had George Clooney as Batman, he I'm going to say he looks perfect as Bruce Wayne and if they put him in a slightly different suit he would have been perfect as Batman but that movie was a dumpster fire and you get Arnold Schwarzenegger allegedly paid 20 million dollars to play Mr. Freeze and look, Schwarzenegger is having the time of his life
0: I will turn Gotham into an icy graveyard then I will pull Batman's heart from his body and feel it freeze in the hands
1: <sighs> he shaved his head for the role and he's in body paint for a large amount of it and apparently that took a long time but no complaints from him well if you paid me 20 million you could shave my head and cover me in a sort of sparkly dust if you wanted to and there's all these puns including the I do feel obliged to say this, the historically inaccurate, what killed the dinosaurs, the ice age. It's like, no, 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 the ice age happened millions of years after the dinosaurs. And that is not the worst pun that he does. I'm hoping Grey sticks in a few of them here. Allow me to break the
0: ice. You are not sending me to the cooler. Freeze well.
1: But the point is... Batman and Robin, as it was called, was just so ridiculously kitsch. It was so over-the-top. It was so embarrassing, quite frankly. Other superhero movies by then had become far more mature. You get something like the first Blade movie that's around about the same time. That is taking a Marvel property but doing it completely straight-faced and all the better for it. Batman and Robin, who was it for? For little tiny kids? Yeah, but you're not going to get a big blockbuster from little tiny kids. So it basically killed the franchise. Everyone was so embarrassed by Batman that it took years for anybody to go back to it. Now, just before I jump on to Christopher Nolan resurrecting Batman and suddenly making it a hot property again in the film world, I want to point out one of the great things, the enduring things about Batman as a character is he is so flexible, he's such a great literary creation, that he works as something super serious, like in the Christopher Nolan movies, or in The Dark Knight Returns, it's a seminal Frank Miller comic book, it came out in the 1980s, if you read one graphic novel about Batman, read that one, and that was the one that made Batman far more moody and gothic and stuff like that, it's awesome please if you only read one batman comic dark knight returns amazing you can thank me on twitter or whatever by the way i'm at jemdaducho on twitter x whatever you want to call me i am also technically at jemdaducho on threads if if twitter i'm telling you right now if twitter goes behind a paywall i'm not paying for my social media i'll be on threads with my seven followers oh well i guess i'm gonna have to start again aren't i please say hello to me on that. Please click subscribe. Please give us a review. All that sort of stuff really helps the algorithm find it and spread the word a bit more. Thank you, thank you. Right, moving on. You've got this sort of super dark version in The Batman, the Robert Patterson one. Now, that was also extremely well done Batman movie. So that's in Dark and Brooding, but let's not forget the thing that brought everybody's attention to Batman in the filmic or TV world was the... Adam West 1960s Batman.
0: Adam West! Hey kids, Batman!
1: Dad, that's not the real Batman.
0: Of course I'm Batman. See, here's a picture of me with Robin.
1: Who the hell's Robin?
0: Oh, I guess you're only familiar with the
1: new Batman movies. With, and I'll fight anybody on this, the best Batman theme tune. It may not be the most serious Batman theme tune, but it is. Everybody recognizes it. I was running around as a little kid uh basically watching it and as a little kid i wasn't it was this was reruns i wasn't alive in the 60s but as a little kid i didn't understand all the tongue-in-cheek humor of it i just had my little black velvet cake that my dad had made me running around the house singing that theme tune over and over again which my little baby sister who was about one year old watching her brother in awe running around the house being batman i'm not making this up her first words were batman and that makes my sister awesome. It's not the only reason why it makes my sister awesome. But but she couldn't have picked up the complexities of Danny Elfman's theme from 1989. Also, that hadn't come out yet. But take my point. So Adam West Batman is glorious. And Lego Batman is also hilarious and funny and it works. There's even the songs from the Lego Batman movie, which... Pays homage to Adam West, but also pays homage to the super dark side of Batman. Who the sickest Batman! <laughs> Batman! It is glorious, and so he can be both silly and super serious all at the same time, and you get great versions of both of those. The problem with Batman and Robin is it's just a big, gloopy mess of glitter and silliness and money. It's horrible. So, Nolan was approached to do Batman, and they said, but how would you do it differently? Because he'd made these really impressive movies, these really thoughtful movies, and they were hoping, well, maybe you could potentially do this. It is worth remembering that Tim Burton did a brilliant job with 1989's Batman and the Batman Returns but he'd never done anything like that before the previous movie he did was Beetlejuice and he picked the lead character well actually no not the lead character but the title character of Beetlejuice to play Batman and there's no evidence from that that he's going to be a great Batman but it worked out great for everyone and what Nolan said is I want to make Batman as realistic as possible when we looked at Batman and Robin it was just so ridiculous and kitsch. There's no sense of jeopardy if the whole thing just looks like a joke or a cartoon. Wiley e. Coyote and Roadrunner, if the two of them were actually in real life and these explosions were going off and people were being maimed, it wouldn't be funny or child-friendly. But everybody's made a rubber in the cartoon world and so was everybody in Batman and Robin. So with Nolan's message of I want to make this as realistic as possible, I want to make it real, not comic book that was the mantra and i remember that when i saw the trailer for the first time for batman begins that's the first movie i sat there went huh okay it took me about half the trailer to realize this was going to be a batman movie and now that i've seen the whole thing so i might go to that and it did well it didn't blow the doors off the box office but it made everybody talk about batman like it was an ip that was alive again no longer on life support or in coma which everyone's kind of forgetting about because it's embarrassing no it was like that was interesting and the last shot of batman begins is we have commissioner gordon although he's not actually yet a commissioner he goes there's somebody doing bank jobs he leaves a calling card and it's the joker from a deck of cards and it's like oh the next one's going to be the Joker. Yeah, let's do the Joker. Now, at that time, before we'd seen Heath Ledger's performance, before we'd seen the trailer even for The Dark Knight, Jack Nicholson, multi-Oscar winning Jack Nicholson had put on one hell of a performance in 1989's Batman. So we've had Batman, we've had Batman Begins, and we've had The Batman. So if you really don't know your Batman movies, these are separated by decades, by the way, and very different Batmen. Yeah, you've got to pay attention to the titles. And so, when I heard that the next movie was going to be called The Dark Knight, that's obviously a reference to The Dark Knight Returns. Clearly, they weren't going to do exactly the same thing. It was continuing on from what we'd seen. And the critical thing about Dark Knight Returns, something you should know if you haven't read it, there is indeed a cartoon version of it. The comic book is better, mainly because you get the internal monologue of Batman. That's the main thing. ...is it's Batman has retired. Batman has been Batman. And then after Robin was killed by the Joker... ...you don't see any of this stuff, it's just implied by certain scenes and frames. Because the Joker had killed Robin, that's what put Batman off. He was putting somebody in danger and he wasn't able to save him, so he's now given up. But he's so compelled, it's like an addiction, it's like a compulsion. He has to come back, but he's coming back as an older, more bitter... Batman and it works so well with that character. That's why it's such a great story because you don't necessarily always agree with Batman. So calling it Dark Knight's like wow, he's taking it to the next level. And then the trailer came out and we saw for the first time Heath Ledger's depiction of the Joker.
0: It's simple. Kill the Batman.
1: And everybody said, this is a fool's errand. Nobody's going to do better than Jack Nicholson of all people but they did, and it's like, oh my goodness, he is terrifying as the Joker, he's a completely different type of Joker, this is amazing, and with a lot of Nolan's movies what they do is on an IMAX screening of another big film they do here is the opening bit of the next Nolan movie, so I cannot tell you which movie it was, it's obviously going to be a movie that clearly, if you're a fan of Nolan you'll probably go and see that film, it's not going to be the next Pixar for example, And so there was the opening bank job of the Joker doing the bank job. So that whole sequence, up until the time the school bus pulls out of the bank and drives along the road, it then fades to black, and then it's like, I cannot wait to see the next, the the rest of that film. That is perfection. And indeed, a number of people have said it's one of the greatest heist movies ever made. I would agree with that. It's not one of the best superhero films ever made it's one of the best films ever made in the imdb top 250 movies admittedly these were talking about the internet's going to skew a bit younger it's going to skew a bit more recent but even so we are talking about a film that's now 15 years old it's in the top 10 of all time it's up there with the likes of the godfather shawshank redemption the good the bad and the ugly and i'm not sure it's in the top 10 of all-time movies, of all movies, of all languages. I ain't going to say that might be a bit high, but it's a very good film. And indeed, it was the first superhero movie that grossed over a billion dollars. Nobody was expecting it to do that. It basically doubled its money from the gross of batman begins it was a sensation in 2008 and it's worth pointing out it came out the same summer as the first iron man the iron man that kicked off the marvel cinematic universe and there's no doubt that which one of those led to more money and more influence from their studios clearly it was marvel but in terms of in that summer obviously the dark knight was better than iron man which is a solid film we're into the movie now and i'm going to say I, i will give it one critique I get what they're doing with Harvey Dent. He is integral to the plot, but it sags a bit with Harvey, particularly when he's Two-Faced. He's very good. He's just not the Joker in that film. And obviously, with Heath Ledger's death just before the film came out, it adds this whole level of cachet. Now, Heath Ledger was already working on other projects, but the thing is, it's like... (gasps) Did the Joker get in his head or something like that? It's one of these things where it's, it becomes mythologized. It becomes legendary. And so everybody wanted to see Heath Ledger's last performance, which is not actually true because he's already filming a film with Terry G- Burrow is a furniture company known for
0: timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Gilliam at that time, which various other actors filled in for him to create a very interesting pastiche of the film. It wasn't actually his last role. He was already working on other projects. But man, did he bring it. I had seen him in Brokeback Mountain, and he was the quiet one, so there was no and I'd seen him in Night's Tale, no indication he was going to do this for Dark Knight, and yes, he's the greatest Joker. I am well aware that we get Joaquin Phoenix doing a very different interpretation of the Joker, but we've now had three people either Oscar winning from the Joker or already your multi-Oscar winning becoming the Joker, but the Joker is now a cachet character up there with King Lear or Henry V or something. It's kind of weird, that. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to start moving this towards the unusual side of history that you might not have thought about. So, for example, there is this idea of where has the joke come from? Well, you look nervous. Is it the scars? You want to know how I got them? The classic example being, and and this is important with the character as a whole, is there is no... Definitive origin story of the Joker, as opposed to Batman is Bruce Wayne and his saw his parents die in the alley and all this kind of. Yet that has been around for a long, long time. But with the Joker, yes, there is the movie Joker, but they've been quite clear about it that it's not canon. It is an interpretation of Joker, and clearly. That Joker is very different to the Joker we see with Heath Ledger and indeed with Jack Nicholson as well. So once again, we just get a completely different version of him, whereas we get exactly the standard stuff with Christopher Nolan's Batman as something like the Batman or whatever, you know, Batman versus Superman, etc. So... There is a theory around the Joker which is in The Dark Knight, and it's an interesting one. First of all, to sort of prove the we don't know who he is in any way, he does the classic, do you want to know how I got these scars? And the critical thing is he comes up with two completely different versions of the story. Now, one of them could be true, one of them could be a lie, both of them could be a lie. So there is that element. Now, moving that on... There is an interesting theory that he is potentially an ex-military person. He is, after all, good with firearms and also explosives, so he might well have had that training. That's not beyond him. But there is the quite telling bit where he talks about how people like the plan and don't like the plan. An example of part of the plan is a truckload of soldiers get blown up. That's part of the plan, so nobody loses their cool over it. Why did he pick that example? Also, where did he get those scars from? Maybe it was a war wound of some description. So, you put all this stuff together and it hints at a possibility. But the thing is, if you want to turn around and say, no, Jem, you're wrong, it's something else, that's the point. But what we've got here is, at least in part, a criticism of the American judicial system because we get early on this device that Bruce Wayne has been working on, this sort of echolocation-type thing. Now, it's done very coolly in Hong Kong to get a guy, and if you like, that's an example of the ends justifying the means. But then later on, you get the scene where Morgan Freeman walks in, and Bruce Wayne has activated everybody's mobile phones, cell phones in America, and this echolocation is being done throughout the whole of the city, Batman's doing it to find the Joker. But do the ends justify the means on this occasion? Now, admittedly, he is unable to locate the Joker without this equipment, but at the same time, that is a gross invasion of privacy for every Gothamite out there. And indeed, you get Morgan Freeman saying,
0: This is wrong. I've got to find this man, Lucius. At what cost? The database is now key encrypted.
1: It can only be accessed by one person. This is too much power for one person. Which, by the way, is a specific line a police officer had after arresting Malcolm X in the 1960s and all these black activists decided to very calmly and patiently just stand around in a line ringing the police station. And that line, not... No black man should have that power, but just simply no man should have that power. Interesting. But it is a reference to, should anybody be able to infringe on people's security? It's an interesting conversation that, again, if we're in 2008, that's a conversation going on in the world. Then we've got the brilliant set piece where we get the piece of music called Why So Serious. This is an example of Hans Zimmer, who is the greatest film music person of all time is an impossible question to answer you think it's Zimmer? Zimmer's done some amazing stuff, Pirates of the Caribbean Gladiator, Dark Knight etc. Great but John Williams? Star Wars Superman, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T. Beat that. But then where we're not including Ennio Morricone the good, the bad and the ugly, the untouchables and so on and so forth nobody has to be the best, there are just very good people out there keeping us extremely well entertained but in the case of zimmer he was very experimental in this movie and the piece of music of why so serious this piece of a guitar string just slowly winding up in the other nolan movie dunkirk there's this bit of very tense music first of all some of it's in time to clockwork as in a ticking clock and Another piece just sounds like the piece of music is just going up and up and up and up. Problem is, at some point, that goes beyond the range of human hearing. How can it keep going up? And it's called a shepherd tone. And it's actually, you've heard of an optical illusion, where something can look like two things at the same time. This is an audio illusion, where what you're hearing isn't actually what you think you're hearing. So with that in mind zimmer with this piece of music that just feels like it's first of all it's not like anything you've ever heard before so it's original like the joker and it's just the piece of music feels like it's slowly spinning out of control just like the joker but this piece of music comes on at this set piece where they are trying to move harvey dent in a truck and somebody's out to get him and they know the police are out to get him and there's this point where the, their route that they were going to take is blocked. Now of all the things it could be blocking, it could be a large truck. It could be huge piles of garbage or, or it could be anything blocking it. But Nolan deliberately picked a fire truck on fire. Now you could argue that's the joker having a joke, you know, fire truck should be on fire, ha ha ha. But more importantly, again, this is only a few years after 9/11. And that's quite a shocking thing for people to see. People got very turned off the idea of massive buildings being blown up, which happened all the time in the 1990s. But then in the 2000s, once we'd seen it for real, things changed in the action genre. And Nolan was playing with that and deliberately with that set piece, which is an amazing set piece for the record. Right, that brings us, I think, out of the movie and then into the world of the real politics and real history and the thing is this is genuinely definable history so we have in the late 1990s a number of attacks carried out by an islamic fundamentalist group group led by a man called osama bin laden and they have loose affiliations uh, they they they're not a brand. They they don't you know if you've got the U.S. Army or the Russian Air Force. You know these are specific things off of a specific government and they have a name. These are terrorist cells that happen to have similar beliefs. And the critical thing for these groups is they didn't interact with each other. So if I ever catch one of you, they are cells. They are insular from each other. So even if I've got you. You don't know that there's going to be an attack in three days' time in Paris, for example. So it's the perfect example. But the CIA had to call them something. They can't just be called nebulous group of Islamic terrorists. So they came up with a name, which was just very simply The Camp, because they obviously had to sometimes work in bases to be trained and taught and so on and so forth. And in some of the wilds of places like Afghanistan that had recently fallen to the Taliban, calling it The Camp was good enough. The camp in Arabic is Al-Qaeda. But this has led some people to go, oh, so the CIA created Al-Qaeda. No, no, they didn't. They came up with the name, which happened to be catchy enough and easily pronounceable enough in the West that they took that brand and ran with it. That the CIA did not create Al-Qaeda. This is not a false flag operation. There have been a number of conspiracy theories throughout history prior to the Internet. Perhaps the best-known one is who shot John F. Kennedy, JFK. But the 9-11 thing, and specifically to do with the loose change video, which the makers have now admitted is just made up, but it was one of the first examples of how quickly viral the internet can make an idea and how the average human being does not fact-check. If it sounds good, it must be true. So... This is all bubbling up, and we then, on September the 11th, 2001, I remember where I was. Everybody who was around at that time remembers where they were when they heard the story of the attacks. And it's worth remembering, four planes were hijacked in America. Two of them went into each of the World Trade Towers in New York. One of them went into the Pentagon, and a fourth one was downed in a field in Pennsylvania and that whole day has been reproduced in a number of different movies and documentaries and so on and so forth it's one of these things where if you're old enough to listen to this you know this story so I'm not going to go into it but the thing that's worth remembering is people call it a terrorist attack terrorist attacks are things like the IRA setting off a bomb in a bandstand in the 1980s and sadly that might kill two dozen people that's terrible and awful I mean I utterly condemn it. you got a problem? Talk it through. Don't start blowing things up. But this was another level. Nobody, no terrorist attack ever had caused the deaths of over 2,000 people, where the epicenter of the American military, the most powerful military on the planet, was brought to its knees. All you needed, it turned out, to terrify America, was 20 highly motivated men and a bunch of box cutters stanley knives in britain that's nothing and in terms of casualties in a war if 20 of my guys die and two thousands of your guys die that's a victory america lost on 9 11 again i'm not in any way sort of like condoning it. i'm just sort of trying to put it into a little bit of context and so after something like that talking about oh We need to do something. Oh, let's do a leafleting campaign or a Islamic awareness week at school. That clearly wasn't going to be enough. The new president of the United States, George W. Bush, he had to. I don't care what your politics were. If he decided that he was going to sit down with Osama bin Laden and and offer terms of surrender, that would have been worse than what he actually did. And to be fair... It was clear that Osama bin Laden was being protected by the Taliban in Afghanistan. And so sending in troops, boots on the ground, just a couple of missiles was not going to be enough for something where more than two, basically about the same amount of people died in 9-11 that died in Pearl Harbor. And that was done by an actual country, Japan. So there was a specific target that American could go for. Whereas this was much harder. The people who perpetrated it, who actually did it, are dead. It was a suicide attack. But with the case of Osama bin Laden, he was clearly the figurehead, and he was a very charismatic man. He brought people onto his side, and so it led to the attacks in places like Afghanistan, but then it gets murky, because they decided to start attacking Iraq, which has nothing to do politically, religiously, or actually to do with the Al-Qaeda network. Indeed, Al-Qaeda is Kind of the opposite of what Saddam Hussein was about. That was about oil. That was about trying to finish what Dad, George Bush, had started a decade or so earlier. That was a different story. We can talk about how illegal that war was, but it's very hard to say America wasn't justified going into Afghanistan. Now, it ended up being the longest war in American history, lasting more than 20 years and costing something like. 500 billion dollars or some ridiculous number i've made that number up by the way if i'm wrong i undersold it for the record and by the end nothing had changed but that's because they changed the tactics the goal was to go in there and dismantle al-qaeda that was achieved after three months but then it turned into we got to create democracy in afghanistan and blah 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 and that didn't work however it did take into the next presidency to actually find Osama bin Laden and it turned out he was in Pakistan now that's not where he was in 2001 he managed to get across the border into the tribal territories and then on ironically to Abbottabad which was the area of the Pakistani equivalent of West Point the classic American military academy now that's not to say that the Pakistanis had any idea he was there But it was largely there to probably embarrass the Pakistan military. It's unlikely that they actually knew he was there. But also, it's the last place they would look. The place opposite the big military base isn't the place you think the bad guy's hiding. So there's a whole movie about that called Zero Dark Thirty. Maybe I'll do an episode about that at some point. But what has all of this got to do with Dark Knight? Well, do you remember I mentioned that whole echolocation thing and that's too much power? This came out after the Patriot Act in America, where George W. Bush was saying, these people are using our technology against us. These people are communicating on the internet and cell phones and things like that. We need to have access not to people abroad, but people in our own country. And initially, that sounds like not the world's worst plan. Problem is, if you're saying that you have the right to go into anybody who we deem vaguely suspicious, well, what's a suspicion? They're brown. That's not good enough. And also, it can lead to people potentially, the government potentially having a file on you. You know, if you hilariously say some jokes which happen to have certain words, it will be flagged up by the Patriot Act, as it was called. Obviously, if something odious, give it a cool name. Who's got? Are you not a patriot? It's the Patriot Act. It's the government's right to invade your privacy act. And it didn't really fix the problem, because it just changed the modes of communication of these cells. But this is the desperate thing, in the sense that terrorist organizations are small and nimble and very hard to pin down and blur into the general population. This is the problem the Americans had in Afghanistan. Everybody's a Muslim that doesn't look very American or have American ideals. So which ones are the goodies and which ones are the baddies? If it was the Crusades, they would have killed everybody. So it does show some restraint there from the West. So if people start complaining about this stuff, but also, as I mentioned, Iraq, no doubt, oil, politics, etc. But why do you think they went into Afghanistan? There is no oil in Afghanistan. I've heard some people say, oh, it's about the oil and resources. They got nothing apart from lapis lazuli and opium. And funnily enough, America doesn't need really expensive blue stones and loads of opium it was never bought by the US government so that stuff just goes again into the conspiracy theory world but this idea of a truckload of soldiers being exploded by an IED improvised explosive device happened for 20 years affecting Canadian troops American troops French troops British troops so on and so forth it was something that everybody learnt and because that happened for 20 years it meant that when there was a proper war involving heavy equipment tanks artillery stuff like that in ukraine america had been fighting a very light insurgency style war for 20 years and it took america a while to adapt to the tactics of what would be considered a traditional conventional war where are the enemy oh they're all over there oh okay fine whereas that's not the way it worked in either afghanistan or iraq so if you like Dark Knight is actually subtly condemning, subtly poking at the political situation of its time. And moving forwards, what killed the whole glamour of ISIS and Al-Qaeda, ironically, are things like COVID. People just had other things to worry about then. And also the Ukraine war. Suddenly, if you're a frustrated person and you want to fight against the, the West, join the Russian army, join Wagner Group. They will happily take anybody so long and they don't care if you've got a terrible human rights record. Probably that makes you a benefit from their perspective. But the flip side of that, the West wasn't worried about Afghanistan or anything like that anymore. Ukraine is far more on the doorstep of Europe and therefore every right to come to defend part of your continent. With the people who are saying what are Westerners doing in Iraq or what are the Westerners doing in Afghanistan have a point. But what are Westerners doing in the West where we live? and we have the right to defend ourselves at that point. So it gets murky, and I'm not turning around that the next great Batman movie must be an analogy or metaphor for Ukraine, but it will absolutely start seeping into some of the concepts in some movie at some point. So I'll just leave that there. But yes, The Dark Knight is very much of its time, even though it's about a superhero and a supervillain, but that doesn't just stop it being of its time. It is a timeless classic. I watched it over the summer again 15 years after it came out it is one of nolan's best personally i go inception dark knight oppenheimer that's it for me but the you know other people want to put them in any other order that is your personal choice you do you that's it from me another episode coming soon